The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Well, good morning, Tower View. Good morning, all who are watching, all who are listening. I thank you for that. I am Pastor Nelson Nisley, Associate Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. You see our contact information there. Check out our website if you want to know more about us. Check out our phone number. I'll talk about more about that later. But this is your Sunday School lesson for Sunday, May... May what? May 16th, because that's not today, because I'm not doing this live. I could try to pretend like I'm doing it live, but that would be a falsehood, and I don't like doing that. This is not live. I am doing this. I'm, I am at church recording it. That's just not Sunday morning. So thank you for watching and listening. We are doing your Sunday School lesson, Session 7 on Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33, is where we're going to be at today. And who did I say I am? I said I'm a so, I'm Pastor Nelson Nisley. I'm associate pastor, Tower View Baptist Church. You can see that on the screen if you can see that on the screen. And and so we will be going over lesson today again. So Sunday I will not be as you're watching this. I am not there again. Last week I was doing army duty. This week I'm doing family duty. So on Saturday the 15th, Adam is graduating from college. Yay! And then the whole family, we are taking a camping trip down along the current river. Pray for good weather. Because uh, as of today, I'm recording this. It's predicted to be wet weather when we get down there. Some wetness is okay, but too much is not. So pray for all that. And I pray that you will have an awesome day worshiping God at Tower View Baptist Church, whether you were there in person, inside the building, in the parking lot, in the grass, or watching online. And I pray that all will go well. Let's start this lesson with a word of prayer. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you do. Help us as we study your word, that we can... Um, that it will open our hearts, open our minds, open our souls to your Holy Spirit, that it will change us. That it will change us for salvation the first time, that it will change us for sanctification as we follow our Lord and Savior. And while we are, this lesson is about an event that we are intimately aware of and, and know of and have seen in movies and other things, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will be touching us nevertheless. Not because I have any new insights, not that I have any new knowledge, but because your Holy Spirit is working in the hearts and minds of those watching and listening. And you are the mighty God, and we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So as I said, we are in Luke. Luke chapter 23, as you see there on your screen. And so we have been in Luke 22, and last week we looked at Peter's denial and what happened with that. And we are skipping over. We are moving on down the line. It's just a few hours later. That happened in the middle of the night, and Jesus faced a trial by the, San, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin, and then faced a trial by the Roman governor Pilate, the, uh, the human, uh, the human, the Roman appointed ruler Herod Antipodus, the one that who executed John the Baptist, also um, interviewed, interrogated, tried Jesus, and then the whole crowd was got involved with the verdict about Jesus, crying, "Crucify him!" All those events happened. The Roman soldiers flogged Jesus, put the crown of thorn on his head, had a purple cloth on his back for a little while. And then he was marched from wherever they were to the place that's going. And that's where we pick up 
the, the events, the account of what happens next. So we are in Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 33. When they, who's they? Well, that's Jesus, the thieves, the Roman soldiers, everybody following them. That's the they. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. So we get, Luke does not give us a lot of, all the gory details. Some of the other accounts, so this account is in all four gospels with different amount of details. They don't contradict each other, it's just different sets of details. And so as you read all four of these accounts, you get a, a bigger picture of everything that's happening. So Jesus arrives, and they crucify him. That's when they actually nail him to the cross. When they put out there and they put the nails in his hands. And when they say hands, it wasn't here because physically, if you put your hands there, the nail here, it would rip right out of your hand when they, they put you up. They probably did it more here. Between your two bones. And right across that nerve, if you press that nerve, which is the same nerve that comes around here and goes around your elbow, and we call it the funny bone. Same nerve. So they put that nail right against that thing there. But Luke doesn't give us the gory details. He just says they crucified him. And with two, two other criminals. And Luke doesn't even really say what the criminals were, what, what their crimes were, because it's really not that important. They were criminals. They were guilty. They were legitimately guilty of the crimes that they did. And they hung him up. And they put him up on the cross for all to see. Because that was the whole purpose of Roman execution. It was a public display for everyone to see what happens when you cross Rome. And it was a mode of execution that the Romans had been at hundreds of years earlier or started using, I don't know if they invented it or not. And it wasn't um, um, stopped, made illegal, until Emperor Constantine, the first Christian emperor, outlawed it, which was 300 years, three, 400 years later. So it was a mode of execution for many hundreds of years. And it was not a mode of execution for Romans. It was only for foreigners. And so here they are. And then Jesus, in the midst of all this, he's weak. He's been tortured. He's had to walk. We had Simon the Cyrenian help carry his cross because he was too weak to carry it. We see that back in verse 26. But as they're raising him up, he says, or somewhere in this process, whether he was still on the ground or whether he was already up in the air, we don't know. Somewhere in this process, Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. And who's the them? Well, that's that's the age-old question. We don't know. It doesn't really say. Is it the Roman soldiers who are conducting the execution? Because they don't realize who they're executing because they're just Roman soldiers. They're just doing what they're told. They're just following orders. They are not generals or admirals or colonels. They, they, you know, they're, they're the equivalent of privates and specialists and maybe a sergeant or two. They're low on the totem pole. Maybe there was a cent. Apparently, as we go down, we see there is a centurion who is on par with a company commander. So, a, a, in the army, we call that a captain. And so, an O three. So somebody of uh, a low-ranking officer, but somebody with considerable um, authority, because a centurion would have been uh, over a, a, a group of about a hundred soldiers total. And Jesus says, "Father, forgive them." Or is he talking about a larger group of people? Is he talking about the Jews that yelled, "Crucify him!" Just a, a little while earlier, before Pilate. Is he talking talking about about the Pharisees? Pharisees? Who is he talking about? It it doesn't say who the them is. And is this 
forgive them for all their sins and, and they are saved? Or is just don't hold this specific crime against them when they are judged in the final judgment? It doesn't say. It, it, it's, 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 it's ambiguous. We know in other places Jesus says you are forgiven and the implication is you are saved. Or he says you are saved, and sometimes it's translated you are forgiven. That's not the implication here. But Jesus is saying don't hold this specific crime against them, killing the Son of God, because they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea that Jesus is the Son of God. They are clueless. The Romans didn't follow Jesus. Most of the Romans did not follow Jesus around and listen to him. He was a Jewish Jewish preacher. They didn't care about the Jews. The Romans were an occupying force. And so they they didn't follow the local politics and the local religion. The Romans followed the Roman gods. Zeus or Apollo and Artemis and all those guys. Those were their gods. It wasn't mythology. That was the gods they worshipped. And so they didn't follow the the backwoods religion of Judaism, as they would call it. So Jesus was led out. I didn't. I'm going to go back a second. So Jesus was led out to a hill they called the Skull. In Aramaic, that's called Golgotha. In Latin, which is what scriptures were translated into later, it's called Calvary. If they used the Greek Greek word, word, it would have been been cranium, cranium. or the equivalent. equivalent. Yeah, that one, one. or cranium, Cranium. because that was the Greek, and that's where we get get that word from, from. it's from the Greek. So if you study study Greek, Greek vocabulary is kind of easy, because we get a lot of words from Greek. It's not as hard. And so that's where they took Jesus, to this hill, this place. If you go to Jerusalem today, there's two different places. Uh, one, of one of them has, them has a, a a church on top of it, it which is what most people think is where it was, and the, and the, the Crusaders, Crusaders decided to build a church on top of it to commemorate the place. place. But there's another there's place that you may see that also might be called the skull. Does it matter which one's right? No. It's the fact that if it mattered which one was right, we would have got a lot more detail here about where it was at. But we don't. That's what they called it at the time, was called Golgotha. So if you go to Jerusalem, you go sightseeing and seeing the places, knowing that we don't know exactly where it was, we think we know where it was, but we don't know that for sure. And it doesn't matter. The hill itself is not holy. Jesus is holy. And if you go to some church or go someplace and it says, well, these are the nails that hung Jesus on the cross, well, they're probably wrong. Because it doesn't matter if they have the exact nails that Jesus hung. It doesn't matter if they have some splinter of the exact cross, which they probably don't. That doesn't matter. It matters what Jesus did, why he did it, and who he was. All those artifacts don't matter. Verse 35, the people stood watching, and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself, if this is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. So here are the, some of the people and the leaders were scoffing. He saved others, let him save himself. Oh, the irony of that statement. Jesus was up there there to to save save others. others. That was his purpose, purpose. so that others others would be saved. saved. If he saved saved himself, himself, he could not save save others. others. In the garden, garden, Jesus Jesus prayed, prayed, let this this cup pass over over me. me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. This was God's God's will. will. Jesus Jesus was following God's God's will. will. If Jesus Jesus did not die, If Jesus Jesus saved himself himself selfishly, selfishly, no one else would be saved. saved. 
So it shows the lack of faith, the lack of understanding that these the leaders had, the Pharisees, the scribes, the priests had. They were looking at earthly kingdoms and earthly uh, salvation, earthly politics. They weren't looking at the eternity of God. When they thought about the kingdom of God, they were thinking that Jerusalem with a strong king and having the, the, the Israelite flag flying overhead, although I don't know if they had a flag at that time. But that's what they were thinking about. They were thinking about kicking the Romans out, and Jesus wasn't doing that, so he must not be the Messiah. He wasn't there to save them the way they thought they should be saved, so therefore he wasn't the right person. They thought they understood Scripture. So when you hear people say, this is exactly what Scripture says about the future, they're probably wrong, because the Pharisees thought they understood Scripture too, and they did. They had large... Portions of the scripture memorized, and they were still wrong. God doesn't put the future there for us to read like like reading a map or reading a newspaper. He doesn't work in astrology where he gives you details about what's going to happen in your life. That's That's all bunk. It's not about what you desire. It's not what you think the future should be. It's what God has determined the future to be. And he gives us prophecy and scripture in such a way that we can't foresee what's going to happen. The only prophecy that the scribes and the Pharisees got right in the New Testament is that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. And then they refused to go to Bethlehem. And so the Pharisees and the scribes are going, He saved others, let him save himself, did not understand why Jesus was there. No one understood why Jesus was there. The disciples did not understand why Jesus was on the cross. The ladies, the women who followed Jesus, did not understand why he was on the cross. The Roman soldiers did not understand why he was on the cross. Pilate didn't understand why he was there. No one understood at the time. No one knew. No one understood. But God understood. Jesus understood. The Holy Spirit knew. He is the Messiah, the Chosen One. But he wasn't following the plan that the Pharisees and scribes and priests envisioned for him. He did not follow the plan that the the disciples envisioned for him. We know that. Judas was trying to create a plan, and it failed. Peter was trying to create a plan, and it failed. All the other disciples understood that the plan failed, and they all ran away. They didn't understand. They thought they were so smart, and they were stupid. They were dumb as a box of rocks. Even though they understood scripture, they didn't understand it. Then you had the Roman soldiers who were just there following orders. They didn't see, they didn't see Yahweh as the true God. We know from other writings that the early Christians were called atheists because they didn't worship a statue. And so, the Romans would have considered Judaism, atheism, a false religion, mythology, the way we describe Roman gods today. What did the, in verse 36, the Roman soldiers, the soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They understood the implications of the placard that said that Jesus was the king of the Jews. It says in verse 38, This is the king of the Jews. So they understood enough to understand what what he was being accused of. That's why they put a crown of thorns. That's why they put a cloth on his, a purple cloth on his back after they whipped him. And then they ripped it off. Much to, you know, everybody's chagrin. That would hurt. And so the Romans are just mocking him out of ignorance. They they don't know scriptures. 
They're, they're, they're just part of the evil world that is already mistaken and not following God, not even pretending to follow Yahweh. The Pharisees and scribes at least thought they were following Yahweh. But here, these are just the ignorant, you know, foreigners to, to Israel anyways. And they were following other gods. They were completely deceived by Satan. They didn't even have a form of godliness. And they're mocking Jesus. Verse 38, an inscription was above head. This is the king of the Jews. We know from the other gospels that the, the Pharisees, the, the scribes, priests said, no, that's wrong. The crime is that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. And, and, and Pilate said, I've written, I'm, I'm not changing it. That's what I'm right. And then verse 39, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. So first we have the power, the, the religious people, the chief priests and the, and the Sanhedrin people, the, the scribes, the Pharisees were ridiculing Jesus. Because they thought they knew true religion and they were wrong. They knew the Roman soldiers who followed a completely different God and gods. And, and they were wrong and they mocked Jesus. And now we have one of the criminals who was probably Jewish since this is where the, this is where he's being hung at, being executed. And he's, Selfishly saying, aren't you the Messiah? Why don't you save yourself? And us too. So he, he was selfish. He figured if, if Jesus was getting saved, then, and then, um, then he'd be saved too. You know, Jesus could lead an uprising and they'd take him down off the cross because they weren't dead yet. They could still, if, if they were taken down off the cross at that point in time, they could, they could have lived easily. They just had some injuries that could heal and to stop the bleeding. They, they, they weren't beyond the, the, the brink of dying or brink of death yet. They, they, they could still be saved if they were taken off the cross. And so maybe this criminal thought he had, he had, Jesus had his own legion of followers that could rescue them off the cross. And so we have three different groups of people ridiculing, mocking Jesus. Just like the world today, there are people who mock Jesus. There are liberal Christians who who water down, down the gospel, gospel so much that they mock Jesus. There, are, there is the, the fallen world out there who doesn't even know who God is, and they mock Jesus. They turn Jesus into a, a cuss word. And there are those who are selfishly trying to pretend that, hey, you know, God can save me too. You know, oh, by the way, can you like give me twenty bucks for for? Gas because, you know, I'm out of gas, you know, and they're, they're looking for a handout. They're, they're just selfish. They're just like, well, I, I believe in God. Give me something. You donate something to them. You take it to their house and they're all thankful and praising God. But then as soon as you leave, they, they cease to praise God. And the world hasn't changed. People haven't evolved. Sin is sin. Those who follow God, follow God on faith. Today, as they did in Jesus' time, as they did in Abraham's time. You follow God on faith. You believe his promises. And those who don't will mock God. We dress differently. We use different words. We speak different languages than they did then. But the end result is the same. You're still mocking God. Verse 40. But the other answer, the other what? The other criminal. So one criminal is mocking Jesus, and the other criminal, it doesn't say which one it was, the right or the left, it doesn't say. doesn't matter. Because we don't get the names of either men. But the other answers, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment... We are being, we are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. So one thief is mocking Jesus, even as he's dying. 
Both, all three of these men are dying. The two thieves and Jesus are all in the process of dying. That's why they're there. One is mocking Jesus. So even on his deathbed, he is mocking God. As I said, these men are probably Jewish by culture, by birth. But because they're thieves or criminals or whatever they did, they're not following God very well. But the other says, don't you know who this guy is? He's not guilty of anything. I don't know how this thief knew this. Jesus was a popular figure. So everybody knew about Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have had the news. Jesus would have been on the nightly news often. And he realized, somehow he came to the realization that Jesus was not guilty of why he was there. How he came to that, it doesn't say. Did he just listen to, you know, was he, did he listen to Jesus preach from time to time? I don't know, possibly. Maybe he was in the crowd listening to Jesus while he pickpocketed people. That's why he was arrested, because he was stealing from people in the crowd listening to Jesus. We don't, I don't know, that's just conjecture on my part. Maybe he was one of the, he was one of the people that Jesus turned his table over because he was stealing from people. And the Pharisees decided to turn him in. I don't know. It doesn't say. Maybe this is the first day he ever heard of Jesus. And he's listening to the crowd. And he's looking around and he sees the ones who, who, who tentatively listen to him are just standing there watching and listening and crying and weeping over his death. I don't know. But somehow the Holy Spirit works in this man's heart and his mind. And he repented. How do I know he repented? Well, he confessed his sins. We are punished justly because we are getting back what we deserve. We are getting what we deserve. That's a, that's a, that's a cry of repent of a confession of sins. Well, in the scripture, we don't get a, we don't get a list of his sins. We don't get a specific list. But he's saying, "I'm getting what I deserve." But he understood that Jesus had done nothing wrong. Jesus was not guilty of crimes the way he was. He didn't understand. He probably didn't understand that Jesus was the Son of God and Jesus was sinless and all that. He, he probably didn't understand all that deep theological stuff. But he knew Jesus was not guilty of any crime that required to be executed on a cross. He knew that Jesus had done good things. He knew that Jesus healed people. And he knew that Jesus preached in the synagogues and the temple. Whether he knew the specifics of what Jesus taught, we don't know. But he knew enough. He knew enough that in verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He knew enough to understand that maybe just Jesus is the Messiah. He wasn't a theologian. He didn't understand all the details, but he knew enough. He didn't know when Jesus' kingdom was coming. He didn't know what it was going to look like. And all he did, he didn't say, Jesus, come into my heart. He didn't. He said, Jesus, remember me. That's all he said. He confessed his sin. He says, I'm getting what I deserve. You're not. Remember me. That's all he asked. Jesus didn't say, now repeat after me, like some preachers have done in the past, and some probably still do. He just said, remember me. That's all we have to do. Cry out to God. We don't have to have all the right words or right prayer. Just cry out to God in your words. God, I'm a sinner. Remember me. I want to follow you. I don't know what that means. And how did Jesus respond? No, you need to say the sinner's prayer. You didn't say it right. 
No, he didn't say that. You didn't say amen at the end. No, he didn't say that either. Jesus said to him, Truly, actually Jesus said amen at the beginning. That's where the word truly means. In King James it say verily. The Hebrew word, well, in Greek it says amen, which is a Hebrew word. Amen. It means truth. It means truly. It means truth. I'm speaking the truth. Truly, I tell you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' kingdom was not on this world. He told Pilate that. And he just told this simple criminal, today you'll be with me in paradise. Where is paradise? Well, the first paradise is the Garden of Eden. But then as you go through Scripture, sometimes paradise is just a, a nice wooded garden area. And sometimes paradise is referred to as a synonym for heaven. Some people describe paradise and heaven as two different places. Some say it's the same place. Frankly, the Scripture is not specific enough to know the difference. But it's some place where Jesus is. How do we know Jesus is there? Jesus will be there because he says, you will be with me. He says, I'm not sending you to paradise while I go do something else. He says, you will be with me in paradise. Wherever it is, whatever it is, it's with Jesus. And since it's called paradise, it's a good place. So the thief asked for to be with Jesus when he comes to his kingdom. Jesus replies, you will be with me in paradise. Therefore, paradise must be part of Jesus' kingdom. It must be a part of the kingdom of God. Is it the whole kingdom of God? Probably not. Because scripture also seems to think the kingdom of God is here on earth with Jesus and with his followers. The kingdom of God seems to be something that's coming in the future. We read about it in Revelation. The kingdom of God is something we read about in what we call the called the Old Testament, in events that, that is prophesied that they thought Jesus was going to do that haven't happened yet. The kingdom of God is bigger than we picture. Don't try to limit it. And so we have these events. We have people mocking Jesus. We have three groups of people mocking Jesus. And yet, even on the day that Jesus is dying, that appears Satan is winning, yet here is one who comes to God for salvation. On his deathbed. He did not, as far as we know, he did not do anything righteous in his life. He lived a life of sin. And yet, just hours before he dies, Jesus says, you will be with me in paradise. Because of his confession and his statement of faith. I wouldn't recommend you wait till your deathbed because you don't know when your deathbed is if you even get a deathbed. We don't know when we are going to die. We don't know how we are going to die. People die instantly in car crashes and heart attacks. They have seizures and they never wake up. That Maybe they live for days or weeks, but they never wake up from You don't know how you're going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. And so today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to turn to Christ. And how do we know that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, we have chapters 1 through 22 telling us all the things that Jesus did. All the words that he spoke. But yet here... In, verse, in chapter 23 and verse 44, we get God working in the natural world to point Jesus, point us to see God. Verse 44. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three, because the sun's light failed. There's, a, there's an old hymn 
that talks about heaven and being a, a place of cloudless days. Apparently the hymn writer had never lived in the Middle Eastern deserts because almost all summer long are cloudless days. There were some days it's like, hey, look, there's a cloud, and you look up, and it's just like a little, like if you held your hand up, it's like just the size of your fist. Cloud, and that's it. All for months on end, there are no clouds in the sky. It's not a place that has summer thunderstorms. Hey, sometimes have storms in wintertime, like November through February. They have some storms, but they're still, for the most part, not what we have. Not here in the Midwest of America. But something happened that the sun's light failed. Did the sun go out? No, it didn't go out. We don't know what happened. Was there an eclipse? Probably not, because this was during Passover, and Passover happens during a full moon, and so the moon is on the wrong side of the earth. So during a full moon, the sun is over here, the earth is right here in the middle, and the moon is over here on the other side during a full moon. And so you can't have a solar eclipse. A solar eclipse only happens during a new moon when you can't see the moon, and the moon is is over here with the sun on the same side. And so it wasn't a solar eclipse. We don't. It doesn't say we. This was not written as an astronomical thesis that tells us exactly what the physical phenomenon was that caused the sun to go dark. It was probably just clouds, but we don't know. It doesn't matter. The fact that the sun went dark when it was abnormal for the sun to go dark is a miracle, even as if it was done by natural means. And how dark was it? It doesn't say. Was it just darker than normal, or was it like dark like night? It doesn't say. It doesn't say that the stars came out, but it was way darker than normal. I mean, you're not expecting the sun, I mean, the sun to go black in the middle of the day, especially in a desert area. So it was abnormal. And however God did it, it was abnormal. Continuing in verse 45. The curtain of the sanctuary was split down the middle. So inside the temple, where only the priest could go, there is a curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And that curtain split. So only the priest would know it, but the news would have got out eventually. Although it wouldn't have got out to the people out on Golgotha's hill at that time. It would have, at least not right away. It would have taken a while for the news to get out there. But if the chief priests were out there, somebody would have sent the news to the chief priests as quickly as possible. And so it would have got out there pretty quick if that happened, when that happened. And so here, here is out there. And we know from Matthew that there was also an earthquake about the same time. So many, so many natural, natural phenomena are happening all at once. An earthquake does not require the sun to go dark. I joke with people who live in California. It's like, tell me, you know, I've never lived in California. I visited a couple times. But the joke is like, when is it earthquake weather? I can look up and see when it's tornado weather, but when is it earthquake weather? There isn't. Earthquakes don't need weather. And so the fact that the sun went dark and there was an earthquake all at the same time, God's in this. Things are happening outside the realm of normality. That's what makes it a miracle. And how does Jesus respond to this? After it's been dark for three hours, after the sanctuary curtain has been ripped, an earthquake happens. Verse 46 and Jesus, Jesus called out with a loud voice, voice Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Saying this, he breathed his last. John records it. He says, it is finished. 
And so the words that listed here is not exactly the same as others. And there's some other words that the other gospels have written that Jesus didn't say here. Doesn't mean they didn't happen. Doesn't mean Luke is arguing and thinks they're wrong. It's just Luke didn't add that detail. Luke had different details because of his purpose of writing. And so Jesus did not die at the Romans' command. Jesus did not die at the command of the chief priests and the Sanhedrin court. Jesus died when he determined it was time to die. Unless you're committing suicide, you do not pick the time of your death. And Jesus was not committing suicide. He was on a cross. He was at the mercy, supposedly at the mercy of the Romans, who could instantly end his life at any moment. They had spears and swords and and and, 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 and bows and arrows. They could execute him at any point in time. But they didn't. They had him on the cross. They were letting him die the slow, agonizing way, the way Romans like to do things. But Jesus said. Now, now it's time, it's time to, die. to die. And he, he said, said these words, words out loud so the so people standing around him could understand that he was in control. And he said, Father, speaking to God, into your hands I trust my, entrust my spirit. And he died. He was in control the whole time. The Romans, the powerful Roman Empire, thought they were in control of everything around. They weren't. The chief priests in the Sanhedrin thought they controlled Israel and that they controlled what was preached, and they were wrong. Jesus was in control the whole time. And by announcing the time of his death, proved that he was in control. And in such a way that the centurion, the commander of the unit that was executing him, Psalm, Psalm verse 47, when the centurion saw what happened, so he saw the sun go dark, he saw the, he felt the earthquake. He probably heard the, eventually heard the reports from the temple. He saw Jesus die on command, on his own command. And he said, this man was really, this man really was righteous. This man was innocent. Some of the other gospel says that he was the son of God. So the Roman centurion understood that was something different about Jesus. And the centurion didn't understand the theology, the Jewish theology. He didn't understand all the implications of Yahweh. He didn't understand the Trinity. But he knew that there was something different about this Jesus. And he was holy. He didn't understand all the theology of, of salvation and sanctification, but he understood who that there was something different about this Jesus. And he confessed it out loud. Did he become a Christian and follow Christ? We don't know. Verse 48, all the crowds that had gathered for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, went home, Striking their chests. A sign of repentance. A sign of sorrow. The people did that. Not the, not the chief priests, not the Sanhedrin, most of the Sanhedrin. The people. And some of them may have cried out, crucify him a few hours earlier. And now they're going home. They thought that Jesus was going to lead a revolution and they went home disappointed. They went home seeing that an innocent man, at the minimum, an innocent man had been executed. And they knew something was up. They may not have understood of it. They, they saw the darkness. They felt the earthquake. They knew and they heard the reports from the temple. And they knew something was wrong. But they just went away sad. They didn't say they went away repenting. They just went away sad. And 
being sad for Jesus is not enough either. That is not putting your faith in him. Verse 49, but, but all who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. They all watch it. So the disciples, the 12 disciples, the 11 that were left, they were probably there, or at least some of them were there. But there was a larger group of disciples that followed Jesus. Some of them were there. Other people who came and heard Jesus' teaching were there. And then the women that we read about on Resurrection Sunday were there. And they were watching. It doesn't say what they were thinking. It doesn't say what they were believing. Because they didn't know either. They were, they were perplexed. They didn't know what was happening. Because they, they didn't understand that Jesus was supposed to rise from the dead, even though Jesus predicted it multiple times. It hadn't dawned on them yet. They didn't, hadn't put all the pieces together yet. The Holy Spirit hadn't enlightened them yet. But they didn't run away either. They were there. They were watching. They were the witnesses for Luke, because Luke wasn't there either. They were the witnesses for Luke to write this years later. And Matthew and, and Mark and John. John and, and Matthew were disciples. They were there. Mark heard about it later. Luke heard about it later. They were there witnessing these things. So what do we do with this? The lesson plan has some questions that try to make it applicable to today. And I thought they were really stretching. But here, what do we do with this? How does this change your life? This scripture is about who God is. He's a God who saves. He didn't save himself. He saved you. This is about who you are. You were a you sinner, were a sinner deserving, deserving to be executed, executed and for death, death for your sins. sins. But you cry out cry to out God, God in repentance, repentance and in and faith. faith. Jesus will say, today, today you will be with me in paradise. So this so is this about is who about God, God is, is, the God who, God who saves. saves. This is about this who you are, are, the one who needs saved. saved. Jesus did not come down off of that cross because he was saving you. So think accordingly with your cranium. Believe accordingly. Live accordingly. Because of who God is and because of who you are. You are nothing without God. You are everything with him. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you and praise you for all that you are. You are the mighty God. Help us to follow you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. Whether it's for the first time or for the umpteenth time. Help us to follow you today. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So once once again, again, I'm I'm Pastor Nelson Nelson, 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 Associate Pastor Pastor at Tower View Baptist Church. And I invite you to come come and visit us if you're in the Kansas Kansas City area. area. Um, Uh, We are at 7301 Northeast 50th Street, Kansas City, Missouri. Our church is right by a big water tower that's painted in the color scheme of an amusement park on the east side of town. can't say who it is because they don't want to be affiliated with us. Um, but you know what it is. And so you come and visit us. Our church starts at 1030 on Sunday morning. So we have drive-in church. Come in, sit in the parking lot and listen to our radio at 90.7. And you can listen to the service. You can come inside. Reservations are no longer required. You can come in. Uh, however, however, because, because of our small space, space, social distancing is not possible, so you still are required to wear a mask. That is by the city of Kansas City. 
That is not our rule. That is the mayor's rule. That's the city's rule. And so we will follow the rule of law. It does not go against scripture. It's just an annoying mask. Yes, I get it. Um, when, when you wear a mask, I don't hear as well. That's, that's what it is. It's aggravating, but it's what it is. Okay. It's for, it's to try to keep spreading from spreading a sickness around. Okay. That's all it is. And someday we won't have to wear it anymore. Although some may choose to wear it for a long time to come. And that's okay. You can wear it and be glad you're wearing it. You can wear it and be begrudging that you're wearing it. But still come. And worship with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Um, if you don't live in the Kansas City area, you can't come this week because of work or something else, check out our website, towerviewkc.com. If you have a comment, a question, a thought, um, you can send us a message on our website. You can send us a message on our Facebook page. Or you can call our church, 816-368-1330. You can call that number. You can text that number. If you don't like voicemail, voice calls, you can send a text message. Both work on that number. So I pray that you get in contact with us. As I said, thank you for watching and listening. Thank you for all those who regularly listen to this. If this is helpful to you, if this is beneficial to you, you know, at least hit the like button. If you think others can be benefit from this, you know, share it on your on your wall. Share it on a, on another page somewhere. And so I thank you for watching and listening today. And I pray that you will worship with us at Tower View, whether in person or online. If you do our online service, the service itself starts at 1030, but we only stream the sermon. We only stream the sermon. And so the sermon will start around 1045, 1050, somewhere in that neck of the woods, give or take a few minutes. Um, and, and like I said, we, we don't do all the music. We only do the sermon. And we've been doing that since before COVID, so this is not a new thing. Um, we've been we've been doing that. So, praise God that you've watched and listened to this. I pray your the Holy Spirit is, is touching your your lives. And so, reach out to God, turn to God, keep turning to God. And we will talk to you later. God bless and have a blessed day.